Jesus, thank you for this evening, God. Thank you for our time of worship with you. And Lord God, we are your servants. You are our master. You are king, God. We are your subjects. And you are our God, Lord, and our lives belong to you. And we just want to surrender, God. And so I pray, God, as we sang to you that your Holy Spirit will come right now. Anoint this time. Fill us. Set us on fire for you. Stir within us, Lord, that fire, God, for you, to live for you, to do everything for you, God, that we may fulfill your plan for each one of us, Lord, that we would run our race here on this earth before we go home to you. So stir us up, Lord. Get us up. Get us going. God, and speak to us clearly through your word. And we ask for your touch. We ask for your anointing. We ask for your blessing tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The car said amen also there with the horn. So, hey, praise the Lord. A Christian family took in some missionaries on furlough, and they did all they could to help them rest and renew while they're back in the uh, States. And they showed them with... Uh, They showered them with blessings and took care of all their needs while they were staying here on their furlough. Well, one day a little boy in the family who noticed all of this was asked by the guest missionary what he wanted to be when he grew up. Well, without hesitation, the boy said, I want to be a missionary home on furlough. (laughs) Well, as we return to our study in the book of of Luke, Jesus reveals that he is not on furlough, but soon he's going to ultimately fulfill his mission. And the disciples have a similar mission when they commit to follow Jesus and follow after him. So today, tonight, the title of our message is The Mission Explained. The Mission Explained. And we're going to be studying Luke chapter 9 from verse 18 through 26 tonight. Four things we're going to see here. Number one is who Jesus is. Number two, what Jesus came to do. Number three, who his followers are. And number four, what his followers don't do. So let's begin. Number one, who Jesus is. And here we're going to cover verses 18 through 20. The mission explained. That's our title once again. And number one tonight in our outline, who Jesus is, who Jesus is. Take a look at verse 18 and 19 here of Luke chapter 9. It reads here, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with them and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And we'll stop right there. We begin with this phrase, now it happened here in verse 18. And in other words, one day sometime later. That's the idea. Kind of like saying, well, you know, one day Jesus was in that, in, in that manner. So this is actually telling us that time has passed since the feeding of the 5,000 that we saw last time. Or was it 10,000 or 20,000, right, that we saw. So some time has passed. Matthew and Mark Fill in that time with Jesus and the disciples traveling up northwest to the coast there, to Tyre, Sidon. And they settled actually at this time. And what the setting really, the area that this passage where they're at is in Caesarea Philippi. Now, that's 25 miles north of Galilee where they were when we last saw them saw them and it's a beautiful place it's 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 at the foot of mount 
Herman. Uh, it's, there's a refreshing streams and water there. It's, it's a really wonderful and beautiful place that, that Caesarea Philippi is. And I remember when we went to Israel, we traveled through that time. I remember we stopped and did worship there. So this is the setting, the background to what Jesus is going to ask them about. Caesarea Philippi. It's a perfect rest stop. It's a perfect place to pray and that's what we see here right in verse 18 as he was praying alone and just as we see many times already jesus takes time to pray uh luke writes a total of seven times and i think i believe this is like the fourth time he records this so there's jesus leading by example again that we should do the same but here he's praying and so the disciples they come to him, and the, the disciples, they're with him. And when they're sitting down in Caesarea Philippi, in this area at the Mount Hermon, by this river stream, Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? Who, now, what, what does the crowd say? Who are the people all around? What are they saying about me? Well, the disciples answer him here in verse 19. They, they answer, well, some say John the Baptist, right? That was like Herod, right? Herod, remember, we, we studied about the other week about how Herod thought, well, John the Baptist is raised from the dead because Herod had killed him. So some people are saying, well, he's John the Baptist resurrected. And then the disciples report that, well, others say you're Elijah, now, why is that important? Well, Elijah was prophesied in Malachi to be a forerunner of the Messiah. And really, I believe that's what John the Baptist fulfilled that role in what Jesus said in the other gospel. He came in the spirit of Elijah as the forerunner. So some people are saying, well, Jesus is that forerunner. He's Elijah as prophesied. But then in verse 19, they, they report that others, that they're, one of the prophets of old has risen. Or one of the prophets of old has come back now preparing and speaking about the coming of the Messiah. Now, uh, some people probably thought one of the prophets of old, it could be Moses. It could be maybe Isaiah or even Jeremiah. You know what's interesting to me is that we'll see this in the book of Revelation that actually what I believe, two prophets will return and I believe they're not named, but I believe it's Moses and Elijah, but before the second coming of Christ. So here's the people thinking that same thing. Well, oh, maybe it's Elijah. Maybe it's Moses. Maybe it's one of the great prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Maybe it's John the Baptist. So Jesus asked the disciples basically, what does public opinion say about me, of who I am? Today, we see many opinions out there like Jesus is a legend. He's just this legend. Or many people believe, well, he did live. He's just this historical figure from long ago. The Buddhists, they see Jesus and he said, well, he's an inspired teacher. He's a great teacher of old, like Buddha was, but Buddha's greater. You know, there's different ideas and opinions out there in the world of who Jesus is. Muslims say, well, he's another prophet, like Muhammad, but Muhammad is the greater prophet. The Jehovah's Witness, they say, Jesus is Michael the Archangel angel that's who he really is the mormons say well you know what jesus he's actually the brother of satan that's what if you get down to it that's what they really believe in their doctrine some even say this some say 
Well, you know what? Just make Jesus into who you want him to be, and he'll be that. But making Jesus into anyone other than who he is, which is God the Son, is to lower him down to a level that he isn't, right? And if we make Jesus into who we want him to be, we are lowering him down to our level and what we think to make Jesus serve our thinking or what, what we think he should be. Well, there's a lot of public opinion out there today, even if it was back then when Jesus had asked the disciples, who, who, do the, who do the people say I am? Well, verse 20 Verse uh, 20, then he said to him, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the, the Christ of God. So it's one thing now. He asked him, what do the crowd say? What do the people say? What's public opinion? But then Jesus turns to those guys. Jesus asked them a pointed question. He says, but who do you say that I am? Now, the word you is actually in a plural form, so it's kind of like saying, well, who do you guys, yeah? Who do you all say that I am? You know what the interesting thing here in Caesarea Philippi, in this area that they're at, at the, Mount of Foot, uh, at the foot of the mountain, Mount Hermon, and along the streams and all, I remember when we were in Israel, carved out of the, the rock, there was these little cavities, was these little uh, uh, shelves and little places where they would actually put idols of different gods in there. So you could walk along the, sh- the trail, the stream, and there'd be little shrines almost carved into the rock. I don't know if you guys remember that when those of you went to Israel. So there, there was an idol for this God, an idol for this God carved into the rock. And so in this setting, there's even one for Caesar. In this setting, here's Jesus, right, with the disciples. And they know all this around them in this beautiful area. And Jesus is saying, who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? That's the backdrop to this question. Well, Peter, he speaks up, and he's like the spokesman of the group. Uh, some look at him as, as you know, one of the leaders, right? He speaks up, and he answers, the Christ of God. Now, the word Christ here, the Greek word is Christos, and, it, and it's, a, it's actually the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Messiah, uh, which is the Messiah, which means the anointed one, means a deliverer. The coming one. So Peter's saying, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one who was prophesied about. You're the anointed one. You're the deliverer of Israel. Uh, in in Matthew, Matthew 16, 16, uh, Matthew records Peter saying, the son of the living God. So Peter, speaking up for the disciples now, Peter and the disciples came to this personal belief of who Jesus is. There's a lot of public opinion out there, but the Peter and the disciples, they came to their own personal belief of who Jesus is. Now this is interesting. As we come into Luke chapter 9 here with Luke writing this, because Luke really has been building up to this point. Luke has been writing in a way to build up to this point to where the disciples really see Jesus as the Son of God, where they see him as Christ of God, the Son of God here. Now, in chapter 1, if you remember, Zechariah told his 
was told from the angel that his son was going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Remember his son? Who was that? John the Baptist, right? And then in chapter 1, Luke, Luke chapter 1, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was told that her baby is the son of God by the angel. In Luke chapter 2, the shepherds are told by the angels the baby born is the Savior, Christ the Lord. In chapter 3 of Luke, Luke continues to write, John the Baptist points to Jesus as the promised Messiah. And at Jesus' baptism, what the Heavenly Father, a voice comes out, right? And he speaks and says, this is my beloved son. So, so Luke is building up here. He keeps pointing, pointing to Jesus as the Son of God. In chapter 4 of Luke, Satan comes to tempt Jesus, right? And it even says in verse 3 of chapter 4, Satan goes, since you are the Son of God. Demons later on in that chapter address Jesus as the Holy One of God. And another demon said, you are the Son of God. And then, then we see from chapter 5 through chapter, coming into this chapter 9, we've seen miracle after miracle, the power of God in Jesus, the healings, the casting out of demons, the storm still, the dead raised, the miracle of the five loaves and fish we saw. So what else can these disciples say? What else can the reader, as Luke is writing this, see that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Deliverer. So what I want you to see this, um, what, what, what I want you to see is this, what matters is not the public opinion of Jesus, what matters is your personal belief in Jesus. That's what it really comes down to. This is where Jesus is leading the disciples into this confession. This Everything he's been doing, saying, teaching, is leading them to this point where they truly acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. He really is Christ the Son. Where they confess that, acknowledge that. What matters is not the public opinion of Jesus, but he leads them into what matters is your personal belief in Jesus. You know, in the early 1900s, Bishop Milton Wright declared in church that heavier than air flight was impossible. This, he said this in church. He's like, if God meant, uh, God did not meant, meant man to fly. God only meant birds and angels to fly. And he put down anybody trying to invent anything like that. But on December 17, 1903, Bishop Wright was proved totally wrong when his, his own two sons Orville and Wilbur Wright flew the first controlled sustained flight of a powered heavier than air aircraft. They are his own two sons. They are credited for discovering flight. Here's the thing. No matter what you may think, it doesn't change the truth, right? Think about that. No matter, no matter who you think Jesus is, no matter what you say, it doesn't change the truth of who he is. And so, let me ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say? Your answer doesn't necessarily change the truth about Jesus, but you know what? It will affect your eternity and what you believe. And that's what's important here. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know what matters? It's not public opinion, but what matters is your personal belief in me. That's what he's pushing here. So, 
Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. So we come to number two in our outline, what Jesus came to do. We saw who Jesus is, and now Jesus goes on to share what what he came to do, what Jesus came to do. Look at verses 21 and 22 for this section. So it says here in Luke chapter 9, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man, verse 22, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus, first of all, says in verse 21, after they confess, you're, you're the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Savior. You're the ones who've come. Well, he told them, he strictly charged them, ordered them, basically. He commanded them to tell no one. Now, at first read, we would think, well, wouldn't he want everyone to know who he is, right? Wouldn't that be the thing? Isn't that why, why he came? I mean, that's our mission for us today, right? Our mission is to, you know, shine the light, to preach the word, to share everybody with everyone, the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But here, at this time, Jesus had had this special mission in his first coming, and he did not want that jeopardized. See, the people were, were already getting all excited about Jesus. And, and here's Jesus, whether he's the Messiah or a prophet, he's doing amazing things now. In John chapter 6, people were so excited about Jesus that 5,000 people tried to take him by force and make him king. See, most Jews at this time of, of what we're reading here, They expected a political Messiah, a Messiah to come and take over the Romans, a Messiah to come and bring in the kingdom of God and God ruling on earth. But that's that's the second coming of the Messiah, of Jesus. The first coming, he had a mission. The Jews were looking for a political Messiah, not a sacrificing Messiah that dies for our sins. You see, Jesus... He didn't want the disciples to go out and broadcast that because already there was stirrings. Already there was things happening where people wanted him to jeopardize basically uh, his first mission and why he came the first time. So Jesus explains his mission. This is the mission explained. Look here now in verse 22 he he says don't tell anyone because here here's here's the mission verse 22 the son of man first of all must suffer understand this number one jesus came to suffer jesus came to suffer not be exalted not set upon the throne as king he came to suffer suffer ridicule suffer opposition he came he came to suffer and even die he didn't come to reign as king but he came to, like, suffer defeat. He came, really, to be the atonement for our sins and die on the cross. So Jesus said, I've come to really suffer many things. People are going to be against me. People are going to uh, betray me. He's going to suffer uh, physical pain, emotional pain. He's going to suffer so much that he's going to die. And then, secondly, Jesus came to be rejected. He says, the Son of Man, which is another term for the Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected. Jesus came 
to be rejected. That, that's the second thing of his mission. He came to suffer and Jesus came to be re- rejected. By who? Well, by the elders. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the religious leaders. At that time in Israel, there was, there was, there was this ruling government of the spiritual side of Israel. Rome was over them, but they allowed the Jews to have their own Sanhedrin. It was a 70-member council of religious leaders. And they meet regularly, and they kind of rule over, govern the spiritual part of the Jews. So these are the elders. The elders, the religious leaders, all of them, they're going to reject Jesus. That's what he's saying. I came to be rejected. Uh, and, And there are about 70 of them. And then he also listed here, and the chief priests. These are the priests that are in charge, who are the head. And we know at this time, it was a group called the Sadducees. They were the ones in control. And we'll see later that these Sadducees actually, uh, they're kind of mafia, kind of like. They're, they're, they're family run. They, they kept things politically in control. They're actually the chief priests kind of in power at that time. And then he lists not only the chief guys there, he also lists here now that uh, the, the scribes also are going to reject him. Now, you remember the scribes, they're like the lawyers. They're the experts of the law. They knew the law, the commandments, the, the traditions of, of the Jews, everything, all the rituals, everything. They were experts of it. They knew it in and out. They're like the quote-unquote lawyers. And many of these guys, actually, um, uh, they were all Pharisees. They're part of the group. Uh, called the Pharisees. We had Sadducees and Pharisees was the other group. There was also uh, another group, but they were the two main groups. So the Pharisees, they even rejected Jesus. So we're talking about the leadership, the Jewish religious leadership are rejecting Jesus. So Jesus explaining his mission. You know, I come to suffer. I came to be rejected even by the religious leaders. And then he says, The third thing, Jesus came to be killed. What? To be killed? Wait, the Messiah is supposed to come and take over Rome. Wait, the Messiah is supposed to come and conquer and set up God's kingdom. Not for his first coming. He's come to be killed, and we know that. Because he was to be the sacrifice for sin. We know, we talked about this Good Friday and Sunday of how he came betrayed, right? He came and the, the, the Jewish priests, the elders, they, they illegally tried him, handed it over to Pilate. And Pilate condemned him and then he was put upon a cross and he died. So he was really murdered. He was killed, actually. So Jesus said, I came to be killed, but to... Really, what was that for? To be the sacrifice for sin, our atonement, and make the way for salvation. But the best thing he says at the end of verse 22, and the third day be raised. I love that, right? Right here, right? Right here, verse 22, chapter 9, Jesus is predicting predicting his resurrection i talked about that sunday right on our easter resurrection sunday day well right here he's prophesying he's telling the disciples but i think it just went in one ear out the other maybe after they heard killed they didn't hear anything else maybe that's all they could hear was killed what killed what the religious leaders they're not gonna accept you wait wait what's what's going on here well that was the way he conquered sin and death 
That's part of our salvation. That's part of our new creation. That's part of how we're free from the bondage of sin. How we can have that new life now. So, this is what Jesus came to do. He told him, don't tell everyone that I'm the Son of God. That's, that's for the son, second coming, when everyone's going to see that. But the first coming, this is the mission for his first coming. And this was prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 5, right? It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It's been prophesied. This is what the Messiah is to do. And though back then they missed all of that. So Jesus is letting the disciples know the mission This is the mission explained. So here's what we see. Jesus clearly revealed his mission and what the path looked like ahead. You know what that is? Suffering and sacrifice. And the sacrifice meaning death. Jesus clearly revealed his mission and what the path looked like ahead. Suffering and sacrifice. I read about a little boy, I like this story, who was at the hospital as the only viable donor for a blood transfusion for his sister. The doctor explained that since he had recovered from the same disease two years earlier, he was her only chance for recovery. Would you give your blood to Mary? asked the doctor. The little boy hesitated. His lower lip began trembling. Then with half a smile, he said, Sure, for my sister. Soon the two were wheeled into a room. The little boy watched intently as he saw the blood flow in the tube from his arm to his sister next to him. When the doctor came to check up on them, the little boy asked, "Uh, Mr. Doctor, when do I die? You see, the little boy thought giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. And what's amazing is the little boy was willing to do that. Jesus came to this earth willingly. Jesus stuck to this path, this mission, willingly. Jesus died on the cross willingly. And that's how much he loves you. As we stop and think about his mission, what Jesus came to do, I'm so reminded again of his love. Oh, how he loves us. The depth of his love, you guys. That, that every day he showers us with his love. We don't deserve it. I'm, I woke up this morning thinking, oh, God, thank you for a new day. <laughs> thank you that my failures and sins are yesterday. Thank you that you died on the cross and covered me with your blood and I'm cleansed today. And there's a new day. And thank you I don't deserve it. But by your grace, I'm here. And thank you that you love me so, so much. You forgive me. Thank you that you love me so, so much that you want me. You don't just push me aside. You don't just condemn me. You don't, you don't just say, ah, forget you. No, but his love is so great. And, and i just reminded of that as I see Jesus he went through all this. He, he stuck to his mission that he's telling the disciples here in verse 22 because of love. So this is the mission explained. We see who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do. But number three in our outline, 
who his followers are. Jesus goes on now. Who his followers are. And this is verse 23. So Jesus says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, Jesus goes on. After he shares his mission, he basically says, This is your mission, in a sense. This is what true followers, this is who they are. The ones who come after me, who really want to to be with me, who want to follow me. He's saying they must follow my footsteps. They must go on that path that Jesus is on right now. To be one who is like Jesus in his suffering and sacrifice. That, that's the idea here. And who is a follower of Jesus? What kind of person is he? What kind of person is she? This is who his followers are. And I'll give you three things we see here. You are, number one, those who deny yourself. Followers are those who deny yourself. Deny means to disown. Deny means to renounce. In other words, it means things are not about you anymore. It's not about what you desire. It's not about being in charge and being the one in control. Who is the follower of Jesus? It's the ones who, who have stopped making things about me. It's the ones who make everything about God. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Those are followers of Christ. We, we, we no longer live for ourselves anymore. We belong to God now. And maybe that's been the problem lately. Think about that. Maybe you have not been denying yourself and making it all about yourself is that what it is maybe you've been making it about oh me and what i desire and what i want in that self-seeking way or maybe even in a self-control way rather than surrendering we sing i surrender but do we really surrender are we really giving control over to god denying ourselves Perhaps that's been the problem lately with a lot of things going wrong in your life. Jesus said, this is who who my followers are, those who deny yourself. Number two, this is who his followers are. Number two, those who take up your cross. Those who take up your cross. Now, what, what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean the cross is my job or my bad knee or my teenage son or maybe you say my cross is my husband. <laughs> it's not that. It's not about how bad you have it, you know, how inconvenienced you are. It's not about me, 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 me. That's not what it is. Who is this follower of Jesus? Who is those who take up your cross? And even daily now, right? He says here, every day, not just on one time, but every day. 
Who are the followers of Jesus? It's those who choose to live the life Jesus did. That's really the idea here. Those who are willing to suffer, even die for God's will and mission here on earth. That's, this is what he just talked about, right? He explained his mission. And now his followers, followers of Jesus, are going to go on that same path. Where it's not about me, me, how bad I have it, me. No, it's about your commitment to God. You see, when, 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 the, when Jesus said, take up your cross, when he used that word cross, the disciples would know exactly what Jesus meant. They would know exactly. When he used the word cross, it meant suffering and death. We talked about that, right? Uh, Friday and Sunday. It meant execution. It's not, you know, the cross isn't something they wore on their neck as jewelry, right? Be like we wear, like, electric chair or whatever that is, yeah? That would be weird. So Jesus is saying, when he mentioned the cross, take up your cross, he's talking about suffering and death. He's connecting it to what he just talked about. So to take up the cross meant, first of all, you are the type of person who is willing to go the distance all the way, whatever God has you to do, even if it means suffering, even if it means death. And to take up the cross means a committed life, committed and loyal to the mission God has given you to do on earth. So to take up, a, take up the cross daily are followers of God. And these followers of God are those who are willing to suffer and even die for God's will and mission here on earth. And that means, that means no matter what may happen to you, even with opposition from even your loved ones, even when the world comes against you, even if, if family forsakes you, even if it means you lose your house, your, 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 your job, your property, if you lose all the comforts in life, even if you, you lose uh, uh, your loan in the world, you're going to take up your cross. You're going to walk that path that Jesus, that's what it, that Jesus did. That's what it means. It means that when you live this kind of life, you're dependent upon God. That you're in close obedience, no matter what is going on and pulling at you, but you're still going to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit because, you know, suffering, pain, fear of death, that's easy to pull you away from the mission of God, right? People not liking you, oh, that's easy to not want to follow God or do what God wants you to do. But followers of Jesus take up the cross every day and are willing to suffer like Jesus did. Enduring slander, shame like Jesus did. That's our devotion. That's what it means to take up the cross of Christ. Let me ask you this. If you were to rate your devotion to God on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, what would that be? Think about it. What would that be? Me, uh, I don't know, seven, eight? I want to be there at ten and striving more for ten. I don't know. If, if I'd like to get there. Maybe some days I'm a nine. <laughs> Maybe some days I'm not. Where are you, though? Think about that. Your devotion, your loyalty, your commitment. 
in this crazy world opposing you because you're a Christian? What would that be? This is who his followers are. Those who deny yourself, those who take up your cross daily. And number three, those who follow Jesus. And so Jesus really brings this all together here in verse 23. And follow me, he says at the end. Follow, you know what that means? Taking the same road. That's what that means. It speaks of a continual pattern. A continual obedience to God in following Jesus in his path that we see here when he walked this earth. I was thinking about it's it's like um, uh, I remember with the being with the kids one time we we're down in Paya Bay and uh, it was sunset and we were walking down the beach and and I make these steps in the sand and I tell them step in my footsteps you know and I, I kind of make them really wide so they kind of have to jump right but they they got to try and step in the same footprints that's the thought here who is the follower of Jesus? Those who have the same outlook on life here on earth that Jesus did. Those who, who, who look at life and death as Jesus did. Those who have the same outlook in how you live in this time here on earth as Jesus did. We want to be like Christ. Take His path. Be willing to suffer, even if it means death for him. Once the wife of Adoniram Judson, missionary to Burma, uh, the wife told him that a newspaper article likened him to some of the apostles. Judson replied to her and said, I don't want to be like Paul or any mere man. I want to be like Christ. I want to follow him only, copy his teaching, drink his spirit, and place my feet in his footprints. I love that. Then he said, oh, to be more like Christ. This is who his followers are. This is who you are in Jesus now. We are those people who deny ourselves, who take up our cross daily, who follow Jesus right there in the same footsteps. This is who his followers are. Let's go to number four now, our last heading. What his followers don't do. And this is the rest of our section from verse 24 through 26 here. Uh, we've seen who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and who his followers are. And now number four, what his followers don't do. Look at verse 24. Jesus goes on and says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So Jesus says, This is what matters now, to live for God, not self. But for those who just live for themselves, who don't deny themselves, who don't take up the cross, who don't follow Jesus, those are the ones who try and save their life, who live their life for self, will in the end lose it all. And this kind of life may look like great profit for your life, for you. You may gain, even gain all the riches in the world, but in reality, what good does that do if you, as the NLT says, 
if you yourself are lost or destroyed. In other words, when you don't turn to God, when you aren't saved by Jesus and, and you just keep living for yourself, you may gain much in this life, but lose it all in eternity when you die. What good is that? Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's talking about this same verse here. All this here, this life is temporary. What matters is the eternal, right? So what followers of Jesus don't do, they, they, they don't value everything here and treasure things on earth. No, they treasure those things in heaven. They don't look for prophets, uh, worldly prophets here on earth. No, they lay up treasures in heaven. They invest in Jesus, invest in heaven. Then Jesus says, our last verse, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Lastly, Jesus says that those who are ashamed of what Jesus is saying here and his message, those who don't deny themselves, take up their cross, who totally follow Jesus, when Jesus come back in all his glory, in his second coming, they're going to be ashamed. They're going to be ashamed. In other words, those who reject Jesus will be rejected by him. What followers of Jesus don't do is reject who Jesus is, but really they acknowledge him. This is just what Peter and disciples did here, right? They believe in Jesus Christ, God the Son, And so all followers must do that. So our last point tonight is this. What matters most in life is to invest your life in Jesus for those who don't will face the consequence later. And it's true. It's true. Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Either bow now or bow later. But if you don't bow now, you're going to have to bow and you're going to face the consequence that you didn't acknowledge Jesus earlier. And then when you reject Jesus, he's going to reject you, and you will be judged at that time. So as we close tonight, look at who Jesus is and what he came to do. And let it inspire you. Let that inspire us to be who his followers are and what his followers don't do. Plus, what else would we want to do anyway? Missionary to China, C.T. Studd said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I love that. I'll close with this story. Long ago in Urfa, Mesopotamia, uh, in the area of, of Turkey, in Mes- uh, a lone missionary labored for 13 years without one convert. 13 years! missionary there everything seemed discouraging and hopeless on top of all that at that end of 13 years part an epidemic of cholera hit the town 
People fled in panic, deserting the sick and the dying. The missionary, denying himself, took care of the sick. He attended to the sufferers, tenderly, tirelessly, and loyally. Worn down and weary, he kept going till he himself caught cholera and died of the same disease. The survivors lovingly and sorrowfully buried him outside of town. It seemed like his mission was an utter failure. But when his replacement arrived, still nine miles away from this town, a large group of the people from that town met him and escorted him to, to the town with honor and great respect. Then, at that moment, many, many people gave their life to Jesus. From that, a very large church was built and it was dedicated to the first missionary who had died. And on an inscription on the wall, it was simply written, dedicated to the man who died for us. I love that. Jesus made an impact on the whole world. And you know what? So do his true followers. Let's understand this tonight. Do the same. As we hear what Jesus said, the mission explain let's pray jesus as we come to a close here god to studying your word god help us lord to understand your mission and then to understand our mission as we follow in your footsteps things aren't always going to be great and easy there's going to be those hard times there's going to be times of suffering and times of of effort and times when we have to go through trial and and persevere but lord as you did we want to god our lives does not belong to us anymore but you purchased us lord by your blood and tonight we do surrender to you god tonight we acknowledge you as jesus christ our savior our lord our king and god as we come to a close here as we understand more and more about you, what you've done, and what you want us to do, and who you want us to be. I pray for each one of us here, and anyone who's connected, that you give us, Lord, the ability, the strength, the power, God, as we choose, Lord, to live for you. Help us, God. Lord, as we choose to deny ourselves, Lord, help us to do that. So many times it's all about me and not about you when it shouldn't be about me and should be all about you. God, help us to take up our cross daily, not just one day a week, not just on Sundays or or not just a couple days, but daily, Lord, may we be committed and devoted, Lord, to do your will, to fulfill the mission you've given us, Lord, even if we suffer persecution, no matter what we may face, whether it's attacks from the devil, opposition from the world, Lord, even if it's a stiff wind blowing against us, may we keep rowing, Lord, in the direction, doing what you want us to do to take up that cross and suffering, even all the way if it means death. And Lord, help us to follow you, not the world, 
not another person, God, but you, Jesus, on what you want. Oh, that we would know you better. Oh, that we would come closer to you. Oh, that our footsteps would would be perfectly placed in your footprints, God. Lord, we call out to you today because we cannot do that. But Lord, we know in all of this, you call us in your love and with your heart. So Jesus, help us tonight, strengthen us, and continue to stir in us a fire to fulfill your mission that you've given us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.